Today, we're starting a two-part series called Fighting Fair. I'm not going to ask you to look at the person you came to church with this morning. I'm just going to assume that, that if you're a human and you're involved in a meaningful relationship, a significant relationship of any sort, whether that is family, work, school, a sports club, social club, the church, I'd love to tell you that it wouldn't be a challenge in the church, but anywhere you are working with people or trying to draw close with people, there is going to be the potential for conflict. Now, I've said this before if you're joining us for the first time, but, but I, I cannot emphasize strongly enough how important it is that the way we spend time with God affects the way we spend time with people. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, it should matter to us, not just, not just how we may appreciate or respond to, to worship and to gratitude towards God. That matters. But that the time we spend with God actually changes the way we spend time with other people. In fact, at the end of this last song that we just sang, it actually ended off with lead us. Help me, someone on the worship team. Lead us in your love to those around us, right? So it's all about God, you're a firm foundation, and it ends off with, and lead us in your love to those. That, that, that line often grabs me in that song because it doesn't just end with me and God. In fact, Jesus, when questioned about the hundreds of laws and other things that had been inferred through the prophets throughout the Old Testament, when, when asked what's the most important, he literally summed everything up. He summed up the whole Old Testament for the most part in saying, Love God and love people. In other words, the signs of maturity, signs of us actually growing, is that we're loving God more and we're loving people more. And again, in case you're new to church, we, are, we work hard to remind and encourage people that anything like this that we're talking about, we're not talking about perfection, but we are committed to trying to make progress. I mean, perfection would be great. Don't, don't aim low. But, but I'm saying don't get discouraged because it's not perfect. But let's also not get slack because it can never be perfect. Let's commit to progress. Let's actually work on how we connect with people. Guys, please don't miss this. Everything is summed up in loving God and loving people. Loving God, it'd be a lot easier if it was just pass a test, know some stuff, know knowledge, or do something, serve at the church, give your money. Uh, Frankly, that would be a lot easier. It's black and white. It's, it's, it's cut and dry. It's tangible. It is so, can we be honest for a moment? It is so much more nuanced. There's so much more tension. There's so much more complexity when we're talking about people, relationships. We are complex. The people that we're in relationship with are complex. I want to offer a few disclaimers and manage expectations. I am not going to be able to offer you a formula on how to get what you want. Sorry. I cannot guarantee you tricks to win or control or manipulate or dominate someone else. That's from the other side, <laughs> not our side. Hear me? That is not from God. I also want to suggest that I cannot promise to fill your cup, but I will do my best to empty mine. I can, I can only share from my own experience, I can only share 
from what I understand from Scripture, but I'm still on this journey. But it's a journey, I think, worth fighting for. It's a journey worth committing to. It's a journey worth persevering into because people matter. You have never, ever locked eyes with someone that doesn't matter to God. Ever. People matter to God. And so we do need wisdom. We do need God to help us because there are also boundaries, healthy boundaries. Us trying to love people, us wanting to engage in conflict in a healthy way doesn't mean that, that you just uh, sit and take destructive abuse after destructive abuse. There are parameters, there are boundaries, but whereas many of us would love for that to be very, very tangible and black and white, I would argue that God allows it to be a little bit more nuanced because it's a heart issue. And our hearts are not quite as black and white, it's not quite as tangible as what we'd like it to be. Two quick myths that I want to dispel about conflict. The first is that conflict is bad. Conflict is not bad. Bad conflict is bad. Conflict in and of itself has the potential to help grow us. It helps us to learn. It helps us to see stuff that maybe we haven't seen before. It, that, that is why community is such a big part of God's plan for our education. It's such a big part of God's plan for our formation because, like, have you ever noticed how being around people brings stuff out of you that you didn't even know was there? Hey, for those of you that are married, anyone find out, anyone discover that, that you were selfish when you got married? I thought I was a nice guy before I got married. Then I was like, wait, what? Because it's a lot easier to be nice for like 10 minutes, an hour, a day. You can even persevere through a whole missions trip and, and fake being nice, you know, for like 10 days. But when you're married and you, I'm t for those of you that are dating and are married, I'm just saying it's different because you don't get to say goodbye and like try not to see them for the next few days. Like that wouldn't be healthy in marriage. No, no, you, you have to actually work through stuff. So I discovered, bearing in mind, I was also pretty young. I was 23 when I got married, just, just, just on 23. So I was much older. I'm joking. Um, so I, I discovered I was selfish when we got married. I discovered that I could be manipulative, that I could power up and dominate and bully Sue with my words. Like these were not pleasant revelations for me. I blame Sue for bringing it out of me. Isn't it funny that we'll blame someone else for bringing something out of us? That's in us. So I discovered I was selfish when I got married. And then I discovered I was really selfish when we had kids. I was like, what? I thought like I'm, I'm like matured, like growing through this stuff. But like I want my own space. I want my own time. I want to be able to choose and not be needed quite as much. So my point is that people, anytime you are committed in a relationship, if you work somewhere and you have colleagues, that's a committed relationship. So, conflict isn't bad. Bad conflict is bad. And as much as I dislike conflict, I hate unresolved conflict more. 
And just because we're not resolving it and we're all just pretending and trying to sweep it under the rug where eventually you trip over it, that, that, does not mean that, we're, that does not mean that there's no conflict. It just means that we're lying about it or we're faking it or we're deceiving ourselves and others and we're not actually dealing with the real issue, which is why when it comes to unity, a biblical sense of unity, we argue that unity is not just the absence of division. It's not just the absence of conflict. It is the presence of maturity. We are actually growing together. It's iron sharpening iron. We are trying to learn stuff. We're trying to, we're trying to learn what we need to about ourselves, about what's going on inside of me. And sometimes we want to blame the devil, and God's like, actually, that's in you. Like, you, you need to allow that to come to the surface. Own it, confess it, and slowly work on it. A second myth to dispel is that being right is enough. Personally, I feel like this needs to be somewhat of a revelation for Christians in particular. It's amazing how our perception of being right, which you might be, by the way, so I want to be clear, you might actually be right, can become self-righteousness and how we can actually hurt people with our rightness. Now, I'm not saying compromise and don't care about what matters, don't care about morality. I'm not saying that for a moment, but I'm saying if you're in a relationship with someone, if you're, if you're in a family relationship, if you're in a, if, if you're in a relationship that you actually want to allow to, to grow, and even, and even beyond that, like on social media, why? Why would you spew hatred and vomit and, and just ugliness because you're convinced that you're right on your opinion, but you are hating on people? I think God would say, I actually want you to love people first, and being right is really helpful afterwards. But if I care more about being right than about the person, I think I'm wrong. Again, it doesn't mean that we compromise on things that that matter, but it means that we keep persevering, we keep pressing in, we keep trying to address, we keep trying to, to, to wrestle because we actually care about the relationship, the person, the, what, what's going on. Again, that is assuming that both people are willing to do that. That's why this is such a complex topic, because there are tensions. There are nuances. And as much as my personality would love to have a Wikipedia file available for every possible eventuality, I think God has chosen deliberately not to give that to us. Instead, he's allowed us to actually need him, to need the Holy Spirit. So I can't tell you when to give up. I can't tell you when to push more. I can tell you that you need the Holy Spirit. You need God's Spirit to help you check your own heart, check, check, check that, that you are caring about what matters most, which is perhaps the issue, but also the person. And often it's not just the person, there are all kinds of implications beyond that. So I would argue that being right is not enough. And there have been times in my life where I have risked hurting people because of my rightness. And, and I may or may not have been right, but, but I would have been convinced I was right and I would have had the potential to do damage to people. Very well-known passage of Scripture, often read at weddings, which is interesting because it has nothing to do with marriage directly, but it is actually written in the context of serving in a church, serving in the family of God. 1 Corinthians 13, the, the love chapter is found between 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, both of which chapters, so it's kind of sandwiched between these two chapters that are talking about serving in the local church. And Paul, who, who's the author of the book of First Corinthians, is, is, is basically making the point that there are going to be tensions. Gonna be, there's going to be conflict. And so he starts off, 
I'm just reading the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13, saying that even if I could speak all the languages of earth and angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, if our heart's not right, so we might, you might be right, but your heart could be a, a noisy, uncomfortable, unpleasant, clanging cymbal. And then notice verse two, if I had the gift of prophecy, in other words, you can interpret God's will. And if I understood all of God's secret plans, guys, this is in the Bible, and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. Let's just end it. We don't want to take you to verse three. I would be nothing. Being right is not enough. So I want to suggest that we start with our heart. Next week, I'm going to get way more practical and offer some suggestions and some tips. Again, there'll be principles and practices. I'm not giving you guaranteed tricks to get what you want or to manipulate anybody else. But, but it's God's perspective on how we should engage with and handle conflict. But I want to start with the heart because I do think that there is a scary capacity for every single human being to be deceived. Our emotions can cloud our judgment, our, our convictions, which can then lead to, to strong emotions, which are not wrong in themselves, can, can affect how we view certain things, how we, how we are, are interpreting. Our, we can be deceived. In the Old Testament, there's a story recorded in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 11 and chapter 12, which, which records the darkest moment in the life of King David. King David, who the Bible also says was a man after God's own heart. King David, who wrote probably most of the Psalms. It's 150 chapters in the book of Psalms. Like, he wrote a huge chunk of that. He, he loved God with all his heart. He served God and his purposes. But it was interesting that when he basically got to the top, some things started to become compromised. And in fact, it starts off by saying that in the spring, when, when kings go to war, David was at home watching porn. When he should have been somewhere else, don't worry, it doesn't actually say porn, I'll explain in a moment. When he was meant to be somewhere else, he'd, 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 he had reneged his responsibility and he'd allowed, he'd allowed his army to go without him. And he was wandering around the palace in the middle of the day and saw a lady that was bathing on another rooftop somewhere nearby. Found her attractive, called for her, had sex with her, finds out that she's pregnant, arranges for her husband, because she was married, to be murdered. Scary. Like, it's scary. In my opinion, that is one of the most. David's account in the Bible, and I'm not sure if there's any person whose life is described in more detail in the Bible than David, by the way. It scares me that David, who, from whom there is so much good, so much nobility, so much humility, still had this ability to deceive himself and to go down a road that led to murder and just horrible implications for his family, the kingdom, etc. But what's scary, the part that, the part that really sobers me up is that David had the ability to become so deceived. Eventually, 
a local prophet by the name of Nathan comes to talk to David and he tells him the story about, about someone in the community who is poor and, and only has one little lamb who he loves to, to pieces and, and there's this other rich, powerful uh, sort of like tyrant in the community who had some friends come unannounced. And so this powerful man goes and takes the only lamb from this poor man and slaughters the lamb and has a feast with his friends that have arrived unannounced. David is outraged because he can see the injustice in this story, in this scenario. And Nathan says, you that man. Now to David's credit, the light bulbs went on and he, and he took responsibility he repented, he confessed. I imagine he must have done it publicly because it is so well documented and recorded. So, so he, he responded correctly. In fact, two of the most powerful psalms, in my opinion, are Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, which, is, which are both psalms of David's confession and humility. But the part that I want to highlight before we move on is the fact that David could so easily be deceived. And I just want to suggest that before we get into how do I resolve this, how do I, how do I convince them, how do I get them onto my side, how do I win, I want to suggest that we start with our heart and that we start from a place of humility where we're saying, maybe, just maybe, I can't see every angle. Maybe, just maybe, I'm reacting out of insecurity or I'm reacting out of some past hurt. Because hurt people hurt people. And there's no person that you're going to get into a relationship with that doesn't have some kind of history some kind of baggage, some kind of stuff. So let's make sure that we start with our hearts. Psalm 139 also, by the way, Psalm of David, which I'm, which I'm guessing, I mean, it's a beautiful psalm to read the whole, the whole psalm. It's got 24 verses. He, he, he acknowledges in the psalm how God is everywhere, how God goes before him, how God comes behind him, how, how God knew him before he was formed. And, and just, just his knowledge his hand of blessing being on his head, etc. But then it goes into the last two verses where, where David now, from a position of humility, is asking God to search his heart. And this is what I want to leave you with today as we consider. You don't have to be in a conflict right now. Thank God if you're not. But I want to suggest that there's some stuff that you can put into your ammo belt for next time you're having to actually deal with something in some kind of significant relationship. So those two verses go as follows. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now, I want to suggest that for every one of us, there would be value to us actually pause. By the way, by the way, I want to make this very clear. I'm talking about significant conflicts, not knucklehead stuff. Okay, please, for the love of everything holy, don't pick a fight over, you know, someone didn't fill up the water bottle before they put it back into the fridge, or something to do with the toilet paper, they put it on the wrong way around, or the, the toothpaste, or whatever. Just, guys, pick your battles, okay? Yes? Okay, I'm talking, I'm talking about when, the, that's not even conflict, that's just irritations and life. I'm talking about when there is something that can actually, that, that, that is placing weight on that relationship. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. I want to suggest that the first thing we do is ask. Search me, and we check our motives. It is so important 
that we actually take a moment, and yes, it requires work, and that's why it's so easy for us, that's why it's so often easier for us to just ignore it and try and move on. And maybe we become numb or we become indifferent. And I think to become indifferent is more dangerous than to actually be filled with hatred. Because at least you still care when there's hatred. But to be indifferent, that's a dangerous place to be. And that's, that can be tempting. But there's a difference between guarding my heart and hardening my heart. So search me, God. Check my motives. God, am I, am I open to you? Am I teachable? This speaks of humility. Humility is God. Maybe I don't know what I don't know. Is there anything that you want to point out to me? Is there anything that you need to search me? Need to show me? God, search me. Search me. Is my heart humble, pure, pliable, teachable? God, what is my what is my real priority in this? Is your will my ultimate priority? Let's start with our motives. Part of our motives is even like what's the actual win in this case? Because you can win the fight and lose the relationship. You can win the battle and lose the war. So, so what's the real win? Again, we're talking about significant, meaningful things. Am I just needing to be vindicated? Am I needing to be validated? In other words, is, is it a me th- Like, is this, an, is this a me thing? Or God, am I, am I being objective and teachable in all of this? Now, by the way, going back to let's not fight over knucklehead stuff, Take a look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, where it actually says, make allowance for each other's faults. We're not talking hardcore stuff. This is like little insensitivities, little, like, guys, there's going to be stuff. Let's make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Secondly, when we pray, test me. So search me, O God, and know my heart. For you to go home if you're dealing with something and then to pray, God, test me and know my anxious thoughts, that's referring to any fears that we have. And that'll be different for each person. For some of us, there's this fear of being misunderstood and, and of being thought badly of. And so that's actually triggering every insecurity and every, and every sensitivity on us. And so, and so again, we're actually reacting out of a place of anxiety. So we're saying, God, test me. Show me, show me the stuff that I'm, that I'm worrying about. Is it a fear of failure? Is it a fear of being misunderstood? Is it, a, is it a fear of being taken for granted? Now, some of these fears could be valid. That's why it's an exercise. But there could be stuff where God's saying, okay, that's more of a you thing. And you need to, you need to allow me to remind you of who you are. Allow me to remind you of your security, your identity, so that you're actually picking the right battle. Third is to show me. In other words, When he says, point out anything in me that offends you, I don't know about you, but there are some days where I'm like, God, you know what I can handle, right? Like, <laughs> but if we've started out with, test me in my heart, search me in my heart, test me in my anxious thoughts, well, then, then there may just, we may be reminded of the security, the identity, the, that we are loved, that there's nothing that you can do that can make God love you less out of a place of health, you might actually trust God that if he's pointing something out to you that offends him, that it's actually for your good and for the good of other people. We need to be open to correction. Jesus, in his most famous speech ever, the Sermon on the Mount, which is recorded in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, records the following words 
in verse 3 of chapter 7. He's speaking to a group of people, followers, spectators, apprentices, and says, why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to a friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your eye, then you will see enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. In other words, we are first looking in the mirror. When we're saying, God, search me in my heart, test me in my anxious thoughts, point out anything in me that offends you, we are starting with us. Surely that speaks of humility. Surely that speaks of the kind of heart that God can direct, of the kind of heart that God can speak to, of the kind of heart that God can give wisdom to, of the kind of heart that God can, can lead towards a healthy resolution. Not, not a destructive compromise, not, not manipulation, but a healthy resolution. And then finally, David says, lead me along the path of everlasting life. Lead me speaks of direction. We're saying, God, check our motives, check our fears, correct me, and then lead me. I think there's quite a deliberate order to this, where we're asking God for direction. God, give me wisdom. What is the best next step? God, is there someone I can get perspective from? Uh, Maybe you need to arrange a conversation. We'll talk a little bit more about this next week, but if there's anything that you can apologize for, own that. It doesn't mean that you own everything, but it means that you start with humility. It means that you start with being as clear as possible about whatever it is that you can own. Or maybe, maybe God's direction is just wait. Which for me is one of the, it's like the, it's the, the worst advice. What do you mean wait? Like I want to sort it out. I want to resolve it. I, f- I, feel like a, I feel like I'm living in dog years when I'm having to wait to resolve conflict. Okay? To a fault. I mean, I, I've had to balance this out over the years. In the early years, so bearing in mind, soon I've been married for, well, now 23 years. I've actually lived with Sue longer than I haven't. It says a lot about Sue. But in the early days, I would be like a dog with a bone and, and, would, and would want so, so badly to resolve this thing that that it was actually just unfair and unrealistic on her. And, and, I would pr- and I'd process out loud, so I'd keep on talking, 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 Sue processes internally, I need space. So, so it took me a long time to realize that that's actually really not helping her, I'm not considering her. That's in a, in a, in a, in a completely unintentional way, it's actually bullying her. And so, and so I've had to learn to recognize that little <coughs> of the Holy Spirit when he says, Jason, if it were me, if I was the Holy Spirit, I'd be like, just shut up. Just stop it. Like, you're even making me tired. That's, like, 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 but he's kind. He's a lot kinder than what I am. And so it's like just a little... <clears throat> and I'm telling you, I've, I've come to know when God's saying, Jason, just wait. Just stop it. And sometimes I've disagreed with God, and I've pushed on anyway, and it turns out that God's right. It turns out that he really does actually know what's best because I don't know what's around the corner. And because I'm feeling so right or that, I, or that I'm so well-intentioned in my motives, I think I have carte blanche to, to push ahead. So I'm trying to keep this as simple as possible. What I am asking you to do, especially for anybody that is here right now that is, that is working through conflict currently, my, my suggestion to you 
for this week is to take those two verses, those four ideas, and to pray reflectively with God, saying, God, search me and know my heart. Check, check my motives. God, test me and know my anxious thoughts. What are my fears? God, point out anything in me that offends you. Is there anything that you're wanting to correct? Anything that you're wanting to highlight and, and bring to my attention? And lastly, God, would you lead me along the paths of everlasting life? Like, God can only lead us to life, everybody. He doesn't lead us to destruction. And then, lastly, and this is where the rubber might really hit the road, especially for people that have been dealing with, and I think the most painful conflicts are the ones that just feel like they never end. And that's often connected to family, that's often connected to, to relationships that you wish you could get away. Has anyone ever wanted to leave the country just to get away from stuff? Hey? Of course that's never appealed to me in the least. Because you, you think it would just make life easier, but then you remember ugh, living in the technological age. So like you still have to make contact. And so so actually, actually, we can't just leave it. But, but, I think, but I think that the most painful, the most, what can even be the most traumatic, and this is where you need so much wisdom from the Holy Spirit in terms of do you keep positioning yourself? Is, is God saying keep positioning yourself? Or is God saying, it's okay, you can actually leave that person to me now? It's okay. No, no, it's okay. You can really, you're not being a bad Christian. You're not hating them, just surrender them to, the, to me, let them go. But regardless, again, remember, all we're talking about is our heart. I want to encourage you to pray the Lord's Prayer every day, if not multiple times a day, until you feel like God gives you almost like a release to move on. And I want you to pray the Lord's Prayer with the other person in mind. Because I do want to point out that the Lord's Prayer isn't about me, myself, and I. It's about us and our. Our Father. We're your children. You don't love him or her any less than you love me. That'll put things into perspective. Just there. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us today our daily bread. If you can think of anything that that person needs, why don't you bless them? That'll check our hearts. Trust me. God bless them. Meet with them. Reveal, not God smite them. Make sure they know how angry you are at them. May the fleas of a thousand buffaloes infest their armpits. No, no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, I'm saying, I'm saying, God, would you overwhelm them with a sense of your love? Would you give them a revelation of how much you love them? How much you care for them? that they are loved, that they are noticed, that they, that, that they matter to you. That's a blessing. God, if they're needing wisdom today, give them wisdom. If they're needing provision today, give them provision. God, if they're needing energy, give them energy. I'm just telling you, you may not feel like, like prayer changes the other person. I promise you, though, it changes you. You cannot get real with God and it not do something good in your own heart. Forgive us. No, there is no perfect human being that has ever been in conflict with an imperfect human being. We all need forgiveness. We all need mercy. We all need grace. Even if you don't know specific, because again, we don't know what we don't know. So can we just live in a posture of humility? God, forgive me and forgive us as we forgive others. And then lead us 
away from temptation. Deliver us from evil. I want to suggest that praying this prayer, and maybe it feels very forced at first, but I think that if, you, if you're sincere and you, or if you want to, want to, I think that you'll find that some stuff changes over time and that you start praying this with an increased sense of sincerity. And, and I think it'll give you peace. I remember many, many years ago, we were, we were in a situation where someone had made choices that, that were really hurting us. Like we, it, was a, it affected our lives dramatically actually for many years. Um, and, and, and genuinely in this case, there are not many cases where I can say we're just the victim, but this one, like this was completely out of our control. And, and I felt that there was a lot of manipulation and all the rest um, towards Sue in particular. And how many of you know that you can handle a lot with yourself? But you guys like, you can get really angry when someone you care about is being mistreated and you're seeing them being hurt and all the rest. And so anyway, with regards to this person, and it was a family member, so that's why like, it's not just let's move on. It, it, there were some significant implications. I started to pray for this person. And... And as I did that, I felt like God was, God, it's not that God was able to, it was that I was able to receive that God gave me perspective in terms of this isn't unforgiveness, this isn't hatred, you can bless this person. Yes, there's stress, there's grief, there's, there are implications, it's changing your lives because you're trying to help deal with the consequences of their, of their choices, but, but, but it gave me peace that my heart wasn't, unhealthy. And so I really do want to encourage you to pray. First for yourself, check my heart, and then to pray something like the Lord's Prayer as you think of other people. Can I get you to stand up with me? Just for a few moments, and, and, I, and I'm going to ask you to be gracious towards me, especially if you're not familiar with church and maybe you're still exploring Christianity. There's no pressure to do this. But I want, I want to invite you, if you're willing, to just close your eyes for a few moments. And, and those of you that are maybe in a position where you're saying, God, I, I, I really think I need you to do something in my heart. Can I just encourage you just to open your hands? Just kind of hold your hands open in front of you, just, just as a posture of surrender. A posture of, of receiving anything that God may want to whisper to you. And so if there is a situation that you're dealing with, if there's something that has come to your mind, then I just want to encourage you to just reflect on these four principles, these, these four thoughts in this passage. And just where you're standing, just to allow some of the noise in your mind to calm down, just even to allow the people that are around you to kind of fade out of your, your awareness and to just ask God, Lord, search me. Know my heart. Lord, is there anything that you want to whisper to me? Lord, search me. You know my heart. Would you show me my motives, my identity, my security? God, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Lord, would you show me what it is that I'm perhaps a little bit afraid of? 
How many see some of the things that are actually, some of the things that matter to me, some the reasons why this is causing stress, the reasons, we know that it wouldn't be causing stress if we didn't care, so we care, so God, help us to understand what that is, that we can address it with integrity. Lord, would you point out anything in me that offends you that you know I can cope with right now? Is there anything that you want to bring to my mind? And then God, would you lead me? Give me wisdom, please. Help me to discern your will. Help me to discern the next step. Even if I don't know what the next steps are, help me to at least discern the next step.